I got this shirt Smells like the viewing For Formaldehyde, Tobacco and Tulips. That is the name of Jason Hawk Harris's EP that's currently out right now. The name of this song that you're listening to is Phantom Limb. Had a great time talking to Jason on the podcast. Really excited about his new full-length album that he is actually in Nashville recording. Um, should be coming out sometime later this year. He'll be at uh, Folk Alliance um, in just a couple of weeks. I'll be out there and um, be hanging out with my buddy Clint Alfin and Wilson Hardwood and Adrian and Meredith, Bree Murphy. There's a lot of really cool people that'll be out there. Um, excited to uh, go check out Folk Alliance and see Jason, some of his uh, showcases. Um, so we're going to be talking about punk rock today in Houston, and we're going to be talking about L.A. and sheet music and um, grief grass, which is what Jason has been calling his music uh, Anyway, without further ado, let's talk to the man with almost as cool of a middle name as me, Jason Hawk Harris. So today on the podcast, we have Jason Hawk Harris. Um, welcome. Thanks for Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming out. So you're in the studio right now here in Nashville, but yes. you're from LA? Uh, yeah, from LA. I live in LA right now. and Yeah, going to be making a lot more trips to Nashville though. In the next year that's awesome are you gonna come to alta americana uh, uh i hope so that's the plan you know if they'll have me um yeah we i, I came out a couple of years ago uh to americana fest with uh with the band i was in at the time the show ponies and uh played at the station Inn uh right before um uh buffalo springfield <laughs> oh. so that was interesting <laughs> I may have uh, been it. Was that like on a Thursday or Wednesday? I think I it was there. on a Thursday, actually. Yeah, I think it was on a Thursday. Did y'all play with a Cajun band called Fofole by chance? Oh man, I don't remember. Ah, I, don't I was remember. there that night. Anyway, um, but you're originally from Houston. Yeah, originally Houston, from Houston, Texas. Yeah. How long did you live there before you moved to LA? Uh, I lived in Houston from when I was, you know, born all the way to 18. I graduated high school, and then I moved to to LA. Awesome. So been so there for about 12 years. So you played punk bands growing up, but that was in Houston or in LA? That was in Houston. Yeah. Okay. Houston actually has a thriving underground punk scene, or at least they did at the time. And, um, and we actually had a little micro scene in, uh, <coughs> the suburb I was from, uh, Humble, Texas or Kingwood, Texas. And yeah. we had like, you know, this thing, this high school scene, like we had bands like, uh, the fatty and uh, fatty and the uglies, <laughs> was a band the hoagies um trying to think it's three for theodore mr meticulous and the sloppy joes yeah i could i mean we, they were like there were like That's 12 awesome. punk bands that were actually it was a really fun little scene and we all listened to like you know choking victim and uh you know in our when we had worse taste back then we listened to anti-flag too <laughs> and stuff like that so it was a fun time you know, I, I actually uh, kind of grew up in the punk scene as well, and I, I played bass in a like a heavy like hardcore metal band for a while. Uh -huh. We we off often times went through Houston because there was a there is yeah thriving scene out there. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the the Texas music scenes in general are so dominated by like the red dirt country thing yeah. and like the which is great. I mean, I love Pat Green and like yeah. you know those those guys. They're they're fun and um, I mean, there's some 
crap out there too but uh but like you know so i think a lot of the young kids like get excited about um stuff like that like punk music and and yeah it was it was nice living in houston because all those punk bands would always come through there seems to be like a lot of people that uh, i've met in americana too that at least in their 20s and 30s that kind of started off in like that kind of some sort of subgenre like punk it's funny how that happens, isn't it? Yeah, and then somehow, and I was thinking about that the other day, and it's interesting because a lot of like bluegrass has similar like uh, rhythms too. Absolutely, kind of punk music. So yeah, that transition seems almost natural, and it's it's both of them are simple chord progressions. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them have just like palpable energy. Yeah, and, and for me, actually, what's my my progression was like, it was like punk music, and then flogging molly yeah which kind of brought in some of the folkier yeah you know instruments albeit uh more more uh irish folk music but um Penny and then song. yeah <laughs> and then from there uh i that's where i kind of like started getting into to, to bluegrass and stuff like that just recreationally but um but yeah it is funny because i've also talked to um talked to um, for a very short time, probably don't even remember at folk Alliance a few years ago, I talked to JD Wilkes a little bit and he's okay. also like a big time, you know, he's in the punk scene and he's still very punk, even though he plays like, you know, folk music. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people, uh, come from that background. Yeah. Um, so, but you transitioned to Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> sort of heard that that changed your life. Well, what's yeah, what's funny is like, um, I actually heard Bohemian Rhapsody before I even got into punk music. I heard that in like fifth grade, yeah. And I was just I was obsessed with it. Um, the punk thing was a little departure. Uh, I had listened to so much Queen that I was kind of like on to something else. <laughs> And, um, rather than go to move to like a natural progression, like, you know, go to Led Zeppelin next or something a, a queen fan would do. I didn't right. do that. I went to, you know, the queers or, um, you know, the, or like the sex pistols or, or, uh, or, or the clash or, you know, chucking victim, whatever. And, um, but sorry, I'm a little sick, so I'm sniffling, oh, that's okay. but, uh, but queen was always like a huge part of my life and my music life. And like, even when I was playing in punk bands, I was like secretly practicing piano, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, learning how to play classical piano, like, like Freddie did, which you might get beat up for. In the yeah, punk exactly. Scene. You yeah. can't really admit that you like Beethoven in the punk scene, <laughs> or maybe that's really punk. Maybe I should have admitted that I like yeah. Beethoven. Cause that's, that's, that's punk as hell. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, so, but, you know, I kind of got out of the whole punk phase and, um, actually another record that really, um, that affected me similar to, uh, Queen, uh, a day at the races was, um, Ben folds five, whatever and ever amen. I got really into that record. Is that the one with, um, brick and yeah, it's okay. that, that's the yeah. one with brick. That's the one that like put them on the map and, but it's just from like top to bottom. It's just a great record. And, yeah. and so I practiced some more piano, but then I, 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 I had always been more of a guitarist, but, um, but yeah, that I, I had been, been playing a lot of piano and stuff like that. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about queen. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how I right. that kind of brought it brought you into, uh, so queen never left me. I just love, I just love how careful their arrangements are. And Brian May is such a great creative guitarist. And I like how classical music kind of fits into what they do. And that was always something that, um, 
uh, Queen is actually what sparked my interest in classical music, which is what I studied in school. Um, and yeah, so Queen's always been a big, big part of my musical journey. Did you study guitar or piano? No, I actually studied composition. Composition. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I learned a, a very, very traditional like pencil and paper. Wow. And that's that was pretty much it. Um, and How does that affect your songwriting now? I think it. Um, <clears throat> well, it's funny. It affected my songwriting too much for a while <laughs> because I was like a classical musician writing, trying to write popular music. Um, right. And I'm using that term broadly. Uh, just to mean anything that's not classical. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, um, I would actually think like too much about, you know, you don't need to think about good voice leading when you're writing rock music, right? You know, it's just not something you need to do. And I was doing that and it kind of had some cool stuff that came out from it, but it it also ended up kind of sounding novel and kind of like a musical. Yeah. And so I wanted to get away from that. So, but what I ended up doing was diving deeper into like 20, 20th century classical music, like the really weird stuff like uh, George Crumb and Panderecki and, um, you know, just the weird, the weirder stuff and uh, Dalla Piccolo and all the 12 tone composers. And so I got really into atonal music for a while. And, you know, I had kind of left popular music behind writing songs, you know, even though I had written songs since I was like eight all the way until I was like um, you know, 20, I'd kind of stopped doing that. And I decided I was just going to go and study, uh, and get a master's degree and go be a professor and try to get the university I worked for to pay for me, to pay for me to write orchestral pieces. Cause that's the only way to make a living as a composer. Right. But, um, when I graduated, uh, I had applied to a bunch of grad schools and then a friend of mine put on a uh, put on the Michael Daves and Chris Thiele record, uh-huh. uh, Sleep With One Eye Open. Yeah. And I heard Michael Daves play a guitar solo on Rabbit uh, Rabbit in a Log on the first track yeah. on the record. And I was like, it was a weird, like, drop everything moment. And I, dr- I literally dropped everything. Um, and I got a Martin B28 and just started, yeah. just started learning bluegrass. That's, like, all I wanted to do. <laughs> and so that led to me joining... Uh, the show ponies and you know from there I kind of and since then I've kind of uh, left the classical side of things behind but I think it really affects the way that I work in the studio more than anything right because I don't really I plan stuff out a lot more than most than most people I think a lot of people try stuff in the studio right I'm more like I want to get a pencil and paper out and figure out what I want to do before I go in there so maybe on the preparation side so you bring in sheet music yeah I always have staff paper I'm writing writing ideas out and stuff like that it's interesting that's definitely not the Nashville way (laughs) no it's not (laughs) I feel a lot of place but um, that's my background just feels natural to do it that way that's really interesting. So you, so the Chris Thiele record got you into bluegrass, and uh-huh. you started uh, diving into that. And then you joined the Show Ponies, or you already in the Show Ponies? I was in the Show Ponies. Well, no, I, I wasn't in the Show Ponies at the time. I actually had just produced their first record. Okay. And then they needed a guitarist to play shows. And at the time, it was just the two lead singers, uh, Clay Chaney and Andy Carter, formerly Shrock, and. Um, yeah, and, and so it was just the, those two, and I produced their first record, and then they needed a guitarist to play shows, and I, I, so I started uh, playing shows with them, and then it, and then Phil Glenn, the fiddle player, joined, and then Kevin Brown, the the drummer, uh, joined, and it, it kind of became, it became a band very quickly. 
right. um, way quicker than than we all thought it would. And so I was already kind of head. I, I had I had gotten headlong into the the bluegrass guitar thing um, at that point. And uh, yeah. And when did you start going solo? Were, were you solo the whole time, or did no? You? I wasn't. I actually, <clears throat> I took a kind of a hiatus from songwriting because, again, I kind of mentioned earlier how with classical music, I was writing this music that just sounded kind of cheesy, right? And um, and I just hadn't like really worked hard on the lyric side of writing songs. I had just, I had just really, really drilled my mind on the musical and instrumental side of everything. And uh, making, you know, you know, good just music. And, and the lyrics were something I would be like, oh, I've written this awesome music. I got to guess I got to write lyrics now. And so the lyrics always yeah. sucked. And uh, I was just, you know, I was just like, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for songwriting. But um, so but eventually, like I, I went through a lot of pain, a lot a lot of painful experiences happened. And I had something to write about. I started writing about it. And it still wasn't lyrics weren't that good, but I was finally interested in writing lyrics. So I just like for one year, my first year of marriage, actually, all I did was just read. And I read like, I, I must've read like 150 books, maybe 200 books that year. I wouldn't be surprised. I just wouldn't stop reading. And my wife, bless her heart, was fine with me doing that. <laughs> she was, she knew I was like looking for something. And so when I, I was either on tour with the show ponies or I was, I was reading, and uh, a lot of times when I was touring, I was reading and like, I just wanted to dive into good writers and authors. And, you know, I, um, and then so, and sure enough, like you start reading good stuff and start getting into like, you know, great writers who know how to write. I stuff started coming out that I was proud of and that was better. And, but that whole process really took about four years to gestate. And so I started writing songs and, um, the show ponies, um, so kind of their, our touring kind of started to uh go go down a bit and i was just like well maybe this is the time to try it out and so got into the studio with andy and and uh and recorded uh the smoke and the stars and it was like a moment where i was like oh my gosh i think i'm gonna try to do this so yeah. it's been since basically it's been a year so you you call your music grief grass <laughs> yeah i it's like kind of a off the cuff like <laughs> I don't know. I did it more as like a, I was making fun of just genres. Right. Because, Genre bending. Yeah. yeah. It, it just genres make no sense to me anymore in this day and age with the way we're connected and how much music we're exposed to. And the fact that, you know, I mean, folk music almost doesn't exist anymore because I mean, folk music used to be defined as just this thing that was particular to a country and it still exists in a lot of countries, but like in, in the USA, I mean, Hip hop, hip hop is part of our folk music. You know, country music is part of our folk music. Um, right. You know, rock and roll is part of our folk music. It's everything. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we were just talking about the the roots, uh, or I'm sorry, the grief grass. Oh yeah, yeah. Grass. So I was just, you know, I was just kind of like, yeah, it's like kind of country, kind of Americana, emo, grief grass, speed gospel, speed gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really mean anything by it, but the grief grass thing kind of stuck for some reason. You ha- do you have a shirt that has that on there? Uh, yeah, it's, it yeah. just says Americana grief grass. Yeah, I've got another great. one that says uh, just how stupid it is. It's, it's, it's just as meta apocalyptic 
Meta Metapocalyptic Contracana, I think is what it says, which I don't know. I don't even know what metapop, Metapocalyptic means. I just... Uh, it just sounded good on a Yeah, it sounded yeah. good. And, you know, it sounded kind of into the worldy because, you know, that's what apocalypse means. And uh, so, yeah, I just went with it. But um, I have a quote here. I'm not, sh- uh, I'm not sure if this is exact, but it says that you, sh- uh, you believe music shares in the audacious assumption that the physical and spiritual occupy the same plane of existence. Interesting. You did research, man. I, I did love some it. research. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> so one thing that I've really tried to do, mostly just because I have a desire to do it. Um, not, I'm not trying to... Um, you know, do anything new or anything. Cause I'm certainly not the first person to do this, but I really love the, um, the, the literary genre of magic realism, especially in, um, authors like, um, uh, sorry, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, um, Borjas and, uh, and, uh, Charles Williams to a lesser extent. And I love the idea that, you know, these books have scenes in them where uh, there's this one scene in one book that I'm thinking of where this guy is going up to his mother's deathbed to basically say goodbye to her. And he goes into this room upstairs and he opens the door and he closes the door behind him and he goes over to her and he says goodbye. And uh, there's this really emotional moment. It's very real. It doesn't feel like fantasy at all. I mean, it's a very, right. very real thing, you know. But then as he walks out of the room, uh, he opens the door and turns to the left and the stairs are no longer stairs. It's basically a Canyon. Yeah. And the author writes it in such a way that you're just supposed to believe that that's the case, you know, and there's nothing weird about it. And so I feel like in a way that metaphor kind of like, um, fits with the world that we live in because, you know, there are wild things that happen here that we kind of miss every day. Right. And, um, I feel like magic realism kind of exaggerates those like magic moments, so to speak. And, um, and, uh, so that it, it kind of helps me, you know, kind of understand the world a little bit better because, you know, it, when I tell people the story of when I met my wife, like I don't say, you know, she was wearing a white t-shirt and, um, uh, yellow shorts and she had just gotten her braces off. You know, I don't say that. I say when she walked in, I heard music. Right. Which is a more factual statement, even though (laughs) it's not the facts, you know, but you understand more the experience with me because I said it in that way. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean like the song that I mentioned earlier, smoking the stars, I was kind of trying to write from like a, from that perspective of like, how do I write a love story without just stating the facts? And so I think of this guy that's in a, a shack, um, filled with ankle deep blue water snakes swimming around it. Yeah. And that's, that's a weird thing about songwriting. Sometimes it's like, there might be like 80% truth in most of my songs, but there's something in there where you're like, I'm not gonna be able to finish this if I'm honest with what happened in this situation. I've got to exaggerate a little bit to make it fit and work, you know? Yeah. And in the world of Americana where everybody just like holds authenticity at the highest regard, you know, I feel like as songwriters, it's like, we're almost like guilted into you know, like being overly honest, you know, about everything in our lives. But the fact of the matter is, is like, um, 
there's very few people whose life is that interesting. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, if you're talking about a greater truth in the world, you can get that through in a song without having to, you know, write a song that's 100% factual. Would you, uh, I mean, like, would comedians be as funny as they are if they, everything they told was 100% true? Yeah, you if know? they didn't it's exaggerate like, things a little bit. You exactly. Ha- you kind of have to, you know, in the same way, would a song be as effective, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you didn't exaggerate or, or, or make it more interesting than it actually was in certain areas. You yeah. Know? And that's, I think that's a part of a songwriting process. And um, there are very few songs where in lyrically where it's like a hundred percent accurate for me. And I mean, I think that that that's important. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from for that. Um, so you released in November an EP formaldehyde, tobacco and tulips, mm-hmm. which actually comes from the lyric, uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. This song was uh, Phantom Limb in the first the first track, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is about uh, your mom passing away. Yeah, yeah. As I wrote it about a week after my mom passed away. Um, it's very, very raw. I d- I wouldn't suggest that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it usually goes like it did. Uh, I think I'm about to quote Wordsworth. I'm sorry for how pretentious this <laughs> is. But, uh, po- uh, poetry is memory p- properly remembered. And I don't think it's, I think it's really hard to remember something well, especially something that intense right. after a week. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really just raw feelings in a bowl, you know? Um, I don't think I could be a songwriter if it was like that every time. Oh man, that's, that's <laughs> definitely tough. Was it, was it hard for you to record that and put it out to the world? Well, at that time, again, I, I, I'm very prepared by the time I go into the studio. Usually I don't don't really fly off the cuff when I get in there. So like I had already practiced it like, you know, a hundred times. And I think the trick is just like remembering how it feels to say the words, you know, on your mouth and on your tongue and in your teeth and like, and not thinking too much about what you're actually saying. Right. (laughs) So that's been the trick for me. Uh, But without also without not, I don't, you don't want to completely disconnect. Um, So, Right. Yeah. But it was, it was, uh, you know, now that I think of it, there was a time in the studio when I recorded the guitar solo at the end of that song where I like, I had to leave the room and just kind of go cry my eyes out a little bit. So yeah, it's, it's been an intense year. <laughs> so the new LP, um, that's coming up, do you have a title for it yet? I don't, I don't have a title for it yet. Still working on that. It's coming out in August, though, so I got some time. That's good. Yeah. yeah. You got a little bit of time to think about it. And is it going to be how many songs? Um, 10, 10, maybe 11. 10, maybe 11. Mm-hmm. And um, so your next stop after this is Folk Alliance in February, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that'll be, yeah. And then I'm going on a, a, right after Folk Alliance, I'm going on a little mini tour in Michigan with a friend of mine, Mark Lavingood. Who is uh who play for a long time was uh the uh, lap steel player or sorry dobro player in uh, Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies, okay. and has since kind of departed and uh, amicably and gone off on his own. So we're gonna go on a little duo tour. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw them um at the basement last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and he had to fly in. I think. Actually. Yeah, uh, he's he's great. He's yeah yeah. He called me and asked me if I wanted to do this, and I was like trying to just be like. Uh, really calm and just be like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. But inside I was like, man, that sounds really fun. (laughs) So yeah, I'm glad you asked me. 
Where, uh, where are y'all hitting up in Michigan? Uh, we're going to Ann Arbor. We're going to, um, shoot. Lansing? East Lansing. Lansing. Yeah, I think we're going to Lansing. May, I don't know if we're going to Detroit. Shoot, man, this is bad. This is the nice <laughs> thing about having a booking agency, though, is you right. just you can just go and look. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I have to go look on my webpage. Yeah. Where uh-huh. am I coming? Oh, yeah. this is where, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's exciting, man. I love Michigan. It's a beautiful place to be in. February is going to be kind of cold, though. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about it, though. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like painful environments. <laughs> I don't know why. It just like brings out the creative side of me for some reason. Well, before we were recording, you were talking about how you love it here. It's like this gloomy, overcast day. Yeah, I love it, man. It's, it's not so 75 great. and sunny like it is. Yeah, know. you know, I just I really have come to just despise it when it's <laughs> winter and it's 75 and sunny. It drives me insane. And if it was like a rainy tropical climate and I at least had that kind of variation, it would be a different story. But there's no rain. Yeah. You know, there's no snow. There's an occasional earthquake, (laughs) which are always, you know, not that bad. um, Unless except every like 10 years, there's an awful one. God forbid. But, um, you know, that's pretty much the most exciting things that happens climate wise in L.A. So, So... Folk Alliance. I've never been. Uh-huh. All my friends go. They say I should go. Um, t- you know, tell me about it. You have a showcase there. You're yeah. So we've got. So I've, I'm playing a few of the the private showcases. Um, and uh, man, it is just such a fun time. It's kind of like. It reminds me of you know, <clears throat> the the uh, the festival really comes alive at night, like from the hours of 10 to two or three, even. And I, I've, I've even heard of some showcases going till four. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just love the idea of like playing in these little tiny rooms to like 10 people at a time. Yeah. And it's almost like, it feels like when you're walking through the hallways, it feels like a college dorm, like a party in a college dorm. It's really weird and, and kind of surreal. And you see in your, and there's all these incredible musicians there and songwriters and you know sometimes there's pretty big big acts there uh one uh, year ago um i saw maybe it was two years ago i was there and um uh, bella fleck and abigail washburn were there yeah and they were playing uh in the bluegrass situation room and uh and the milk carton kids just came in on the side door and they were just watching and uh, Abigail and Bella looked over and were like, you guys want to sing on this one? And <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't remember what song they played, actually. I think I was just so elated to see that in that small yeah. of a room. And uh, you blacked out for a second. Yeah, I just blacked out for a second. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, there's uh, Spigma here in town, which is like a bluegrass uh, kind of version of that, I guess, that uh-huh. I've been to. And it's the same thing. Like people just rent out these rooms and some of them are like really impressively nice uh-huh. stages yeah but, but it's all just kind of like off the cuff not really most of they just like rent the room and then put a stage in there and it's not really associated with spigma but they they have all these showcases there and it's like yeah. a ton of fun but you're ru- you're literally running from one side of the hotel to the other trying yeah. to catch all these different uh bluegrass bands playing and it's fun man yeah. it's a, it's a lot of fun yeah i'm excited to go again uh, this will be my first time there as Performing. a solo artist. I've been there with the show ponies okay. two times. and uh, But yeah, I'm excited to go. That is exciting. That's awesome. Um, shoot, I'm I, I'm running out of... St- oh, we were talking about banjo. You banjo. Said, yes. Yeah. You, so... Banjo. 
So you, you learned a little bit for the show ponies and you've been practicing on your claw hammer. Yeah, I did. And I use it as a writing instrument more than anything. Um, but man, I just like, you know what they say about banjos when they say you spend like uh, 10% of your time playing it and 90, 90% of your time tuning, tuning it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, man, that is so true. I just, I just, I think I quit just because I just got so frustrated with tuning the damn thing. Yeah. It was just such a pain in the ass. And, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I finally played a, I finally like picked up a nice one. Uh, the show ponies did, uh, an EP where Noam Pekelny came and played some banjo on it. And, um, he awesome. had like this beautiful Gibson top tension, you know, banjo. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was amazing. And, and, and I remember like, just like, okay, this guy's got a great banjo. It's all set up. I'm sure he's not going to have a hard time tuning it. He had this like space station tuner, you know, <laughs> next to him. That's like most ridiculous tuner I've ever seen bigger than your laptop. And, um, and he, and it was like, you know, it was like it had an analog meter and everything. And, and, uh, he would sit there for like, you know, still 15 minutes just trying to get the, the, the B string in tune. Yeah. And I just remember just thinking like, really doesn't matter how much money you spend on a banjo it is still gonna suck at staying in tune one of the times i was in the studio uh with my banjo i had the um was it the engineer i think it was either the engineer or the producer tune the head of the banjo to open to, to g and mm-hmm. like i'd never had that happen in it like it's like holy crap like it was so oh, much yeah. better because yeah. the resonation is in the same frequency but uh-huh. Still had, you know, the tuning problems as always. Yeah, man. It's like, it's so much nicer once you figure out that, how to tune the head though. I, I, yeah. I, I had the same experience where, um, somebody did the same thing for me. I took it into a shop and I was just like, I don't know, man, just fix it. And they're like, well, I mean, <laughs> the head is tuned to like, you know, the lowest note on a piano. So th- it might help if we tune it up and they, they tuned it up and kind of showed me how to do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that helped a ton. Yeah, that's awesome. So, mm-hmm. what has been the most exciting thing in Nashville for you so far? Um, well, uh, I tried the what the cluck level of spicy chicken at um, Hattie B's. Hattie B's, and uh, yeah, that was rough. Wow! But yeah. I'm so glad I did it, and I didn't do it this trip, but I did it last trip. Oh, okay. So that's been my favorite thing about Nashville so far. I like painful experiences. Painful, I feel like it yeah. makes me better. Makes yeah. you a better human being. And yeah. it contributes to your grief grass. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, what you do can... you think I should do in Nashville? Um, let's see. What have you done so far this time? I mean, I you really just... haven't done much. Like, I mean, I've been to Hattie B's. I've done the things like you have to do. I've been by the Ryman. I've been to the Station Inn. You got to go to Mitchell's. got to go to Mitchell's. It's like right down the road from What's here. Mitchell's? Mitchell's Deli. It's one of the best delis in town. Okay. It's awesome. Okay, cool. Um, um you into coffee you like coffee no i actually don't drink coffee don't drink coffee i shoot i know it's crazy i my, my like i've never i've I, I had my first cup of coffee ever about three weeks ago really because i had i was gonna have to stay up all night and uh i just didn't know what else to do so i just drank a cup of coffee man and uh it was good but you know i got through college without drinking any coffee and so it's i figured impressive. like if i got through college without doing it i'm like well might as well just keep going so yeah, i did it's just but, another vice you know yeah um if you're gonna go downtown acme feed and seeds great um, oh you told roberts me about that. yeah roberts is always great well some of the some of the time if yeah it's if it's like some of the uh more like traditional country acts it's really a lot of fun to go okay cool cool um I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. To I saw on Josh Headley's Twitter the other day that he was playing at some honky tonk, and I was gonna go by there and see it, but I don't remember what it was. Can you name some American Legion? No. Can you name some more? 
Uh, Nashville Palace. Uh-uh. It, it was a downtown. I think it was on on Broadway. Um, Layla's. Layla's sounds right. Maybe okay. I don't know. Who knows? But I'd love to check out all that. I mean, because I've never been on Broadway. I'd check yeah. any of that out. Yeah, so. it's definitely worth going. Yeah. One time. Okay. Um, cool. I don't know if if Susan can go with you. What is yeah. the why? Why is Nashville the way that it is with country music? Like, why is it here, and why is it so? That is that is a really good question. I I, I think that um some of that probably has to do with the Opry, you know. Okay. Um, but um, I am definitely not a historian on that, so I'm I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. It is like, the place to be if you're playing this kind of music. My it, gosh. Yeah. So how is the scene in in uh, L.A. for it's, Americana? Well, it's you know, and L.A. is funny. It's like I think there's some really interesting folk and Americana music being written in L.A., but, um, you know, there are fans of Americana music in L.A., but the problem with L.A. and Southern California in general is that everyone, if you live in L.A. and somebody else lives in L.A. too, you're still might be like an hour and a half away from each other. Right. So, like, if there's a show in North Hollywood, um, but you live in Santa Monica, I mean, in traffic hours, that's that's a 40-minute that's a drive. That's a 45-minute drive, you know? Yeah. Um, and same if you're in Pasadena and somebody else is in Whittier, I mean, that's a 35 minute drive. So like everything's so spread out. And even though there is like, there are fans of Americana music there. And I know for a fact, because, you know, the show ponies have played at venues like the Troubadour in LA and we've packed it out with Americana music fans. You know, I know they're there. Yeah. It's just that, um, you know, it's so, it's so spread out, but I mean, there's great, there's, there's a lot of good folk music happening in, in LA, um, like, uh, I mean, Sam outlaws from LA and he's had a, yeah. he had a great year last year and you know, he's, he really embraces the whole Los Angeles, uh, thing. And, and he's, he was born and raised there. So he's got more of a connection to it than I do for sure. Um, and you can tell that in his music and his music sounds to me like, uh, like Los Angeles country music. Right. And, um, and then you've got, you know, some other acts like Moonsville collective who are down in orange County. who are like, you know, seven or eight guys that are just kind of you know, kind of like, uh, more like the band or like some of LeVon Helm's okay, stuff. And, yeah. And then, uh, and then like Freddie and Francine, um, they're big time in LA and, uh, I think they're, they're moving out to Nashville though. Okay. So, I mean, there you go. It's the place to be. But, uh, yeah. So I think it's got, it's, it needs to grow and, and it's, it, it, it struggles in the fact that like there is so many other, there are so many other genres that are more celebrated in LA. Right. But I mean, LA is a city of, you know, 10 million people. I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be fans. There's got to be fans for everything there, but it's just a matter of, uh, of, uh, of the bands. there. just, just, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, uh, there's something daunting, um, about coming from this area all the way to the west coast yeah definitely so i know it's hard for a lot of people because you know within six hours there's so many major cities over here that you can tour to so oh my gosh uh, yeah that that's the one thing for me man is like when i uh i love la and i love living there um i've lived there for 12 years so it's i've spent my entire adult life there right um but uh yeah there's something about just, I mean, when you leave LA, the first place you can play, you can go south to San Diego. But if you do that, the next town, I mean, San Diego is only about two hours from LA, but yeah. the next town is Phoenix. 
Yeah. You know, uh, unless you want to play Tijuana. Yeah. And uh, but so you have to go from L.A. You usually go north up the West Coast. And, and the next town is San Luis Obispo, which is about three and a half hours away. And, you know, they just closed down their biggest venue there. Um, and then you got to go to San Francisco next. And uh, after San Francisco, you've got to go to Portland, you know, or right. Eugene, which is like eight hours, uh, unless you can get a show in Reading, which is five hours. So it's so spread out. Uh, fortunately, once you get to Portland, there's a number of little towns you can hit in the Washington, Portland area, Bellingham, Seattle, Tacoma, all that. But uh, yeah, I, I envy folks who live in Nashville and they can just, you know, yeah. hit their first stop in Memphis or Knoxville. And then go right to the next, you know, town state, right. right to the next state. I mean, if you tour California, you're in California for a week and a half, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. But. Yeah. And uh, Texas is kind of similar too. you oh, know, yeah. um, <clears throat> well, yeah. it, I, you know, I grew up in, in South Louisiana and it's mm-hmm. not much different. Either you go uh, two hours east towards New Orleans or you head three hours west towards Houston, you yeah. know, and that's really the only big cities around. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely the feeling for touring um and just in south louisiana south texas area is just uh-huh. like you, stay you play like houston and san antonio houston san antonio austin, austin dallas yeah. dallas yeah okay yeah I never went much further yeah west. i mean those that's basically the the four spots but i mean I, we've actually had success in uh or the show ponies had success in amarillo amarillo okay. and also um tyler which is a little town yeah, in between, yeah. uh dallas and houston um and then we also played this one town called ganado I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, actually, I'm saying it wrong. They corrected us when we were there. It's Ganida. Ganida. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Even though that is just <laughs> a butchering of the Spanish language, but whatever. Um, yeah. And it's a lo- tiny little town that has about 100 people at it in it and all of them come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the town empties out. But yeah. Yeah. That's uh yeah that's definitely one of the reasons I haven't been to the West Coast though is uh it's just it's so far away that it's getting there is just getting there and getting back yeah you know you're gonna spend quite a lot of time in the car well I know Sarah shook I mean they just did their first West Coast tour and they've been touring a while and um uh I mean they did all right but I mean they they did it right they waited until there was like quite a bit of attention on them and then they they went over there because I I know other bands who have been over there you know. Uh, a little early and just played to no one. Right. I mean, you yeah. know, and just, uh, yeah, it's a bummer. And I've been there. Do you have <laughs> any sure. plans touring on this side of the, yeah, US? I have, uh, I've got plans to get here. Um, you know, I don't know exactly when I think mm, July and August and obviously September, for americana fest awesome yeah but um but yeah that's uh that's 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 what i got so far and i'll probably be playing another show in nashville here soon just to just to keep coming back because i like the city that's great and there is a showcase at the local right mm-hmm. that yeah is, well this will have already uh yeah passed by then but you'll be playing at the local um on the 18th on the 18th yeah. of january yeah. yeah so you missed it guys but it it was great. It was amazing. <laughs> it was Blew really good. Yeah. yeah. When he cut his uh, wrist on the bar ledge and sprayed blood at the audience, that was the really, that was the highlight of the show. Well, it was just, yeah. it was amazing that like Toby Keith was there. Yeah. Yeah. Keith Urban, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, and they're big fans of yours. Exactly. And, and Gretchen Wilson. I haven't seen her <laughs> since like, um, I'm here for the party. So, and she was definitely there for the party. 
I'm going to pretend like, I'm not sure. Is that another pop country? Uh, yeah. Gretchen Wilson. I'm saying that name right. Yeah. I'm here for the party. <laughs> yeah. She was, that was a while ago though. I haven't seen her since. Yeah. So, um, how long you want, how long you want to do this bit? <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> we just keep going. Let's see who else was there. There yeah. was, uh, uh-huh. it was, uh, it was really good to have you on the podcast today. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was fun. I like talking as yeah. you can tell. We're excited. So, so recording now. It's going to come out in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be determined on the name. Yeah, the to album. be determined. Yeah, that could. That's a great. Maybe name. that's the name. That's the yeah. name. Yeah, right I mean, there. isn't that life really? To yeah. be determined. There you go. Yeah. Just, I just want you know, fifty percent of the credit on that. And um, yeah, sure thing. Uh, and you'll be back at the end of the year. You'll be f- here for Americana Fest. So uh-huh. uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on the podcast around that time or something. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by, man. All right. Sounds good. Right. See you later. See ya. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Americana Station podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us on all the social medias. We got Instagram. We got Twitter. We got Facebook. Uh, I don't think we got a Snapchat, but uh, make sure you follow us on all those social medias and like us and talk to us and um next time on the podcast we're going to have fawn larson come out um she's also a native louisianian and we'll be going down there to lafayette and new orleans and all that fun stuff and uh she's got a new album out called loose hands so we'll be talking about her new album and um what she's going to be doing in the new year um so stick around we'll be back and um, I'm pretty sure that I'll also have some pretty cool stuff coming out of Folk Alliance once I get back. So thanks so much for following. Tell your friends. Stay tuned. There's more podcasts coming your way with really cool people. I'm Will Payne Harrison, your host. And until next time. <laughs>